Hello and good afternoon. I'm your host today, Abner Belsky. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Please welcome Mr. Wes Durham, who's the play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Falcons and the co-host of a daily show called Packer and Durham. Thank you so much, Mr. Durham, for joining me on my podcast today. So let's begin. The first question is, in your opinion, who do you think has more fun, the NFL players or college players? <laughs> uh, boy, Abner, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think they probably both have about the same amount of fun. Um, I, I think that what you talk about with college football and and the NFL, there's always that question about, you know, the, the amateur status of the college guys, obviously. Um, but I tell you what, when they win, uh, they're probably equally as happy. Um, you know, there's a different level of skill. There's no question about that. But on the whole, I would say – I would on the whole say it's a tie. I, I It's really hard for me to – because in my mind, and, and I've been fortunate to do the – you know, the NFL now 17 years on radio and I've done college football. Good heavens on radio. Um, let's see, four years of college, take out three years, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a long time. Um, and I would, <laughs> I'd say the difference in the game, I I've gotten used to the difference in the game. Um, so the games are different. They're still football. They're just two different levels of football, but I would say when it comes to having fun, uh, they probably, it's a, it's a tie. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that too. And okay, now you've been, you uh you host both. So which which do you enjoy more? Oh God, I get that more often than you'd probably think. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. For me, there's differences. So like, I, I grew up around college football. I, I'm you know by admission, I was not a huge NFL fan as a kid. I had favorite teams or favorite players occasionally. You know, I, I like the Steelers back in the 70s. I like the Giants in the 80s. And then, you know, I kind of fell away from the NFL, to be honest, after I graduated college. I watched some, but I didn't watch a lot. Um, and then when the opportunity came to do the Falcons in the early 2000s, I, you know, I jumped at it because it was something that I never thought would come my way. Um, there's nothing like college football. Uh and I often say this too, that now that I've been fortunate to broadcast a Super Bowl, there's nothing like doing a Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's the most, uh, you know, it's the most celebrated sporting event our country has in many ways. Uh, but having been at the national championship game last year to host our show for Clemson and LSU, the college football playoff title game has gotten to be almost Super Bowl esque, if you will. Uh, been fortunate to broadcast a national championship game in basketball in two different ways. And, you know, that event's huge, too, the Final Four in basketball. So 100 percent. Yeah. For me, they're all very different Uh, to say one is better than the other or one sport is better than the other. I still love college football at my core. I love going to the games. It's an entirely different atmosphere this year, obviously. But um, when you get to a big college football game and it's, you know, the band and the fans and all those type things and. There, there's some NFL teams, though, Abner, and I, I, in this part of our country, we don't know that because pro sports is really not that old in the yeah. southeast. Uh, but if you get to, like, the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers, you feel like you're uh, – the Green Bay Packers especially, you feel like you're at a college game. So it, it's hard for me to pick, but I would say that there's still nothing to me. It takes me back to my childhood and growing up around my dad doing games to when I go to college football for sure. I totally agree. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but – I also feel that college football as a closer community because you're going to you're with all your schoolmates. You're all cheering for that one team. And I I just feel like it's more of a tighter community. Um, 
in this part of the world, yes. In, in this part of the country, there's no doubt that college football ties generations of people um, more so than professional sports does. Uh, yes. I, I think for probably like you and me, the team that probably professionally ties a lot of families and generations together is probably the Braves uh, because a lot of people grew up watching them on TV and then morphed to being a fan from that or lived in this area and got to go to a lot of games and, you know, that kind of thing. But you're right. College football, college sports in general tends to tie generations. Like, you know, you may have members of your family that are Georgia Tech fans or Auburn fans or Alabama, whatever the case may be, that part doesn't change. So those uh, generational ties to certain institutions are always going to exist you know, you, you may be a fan of a professional team, but right now I would say the the family ties are probably more toward a collegiate situation than a pro situation for sure. I totally agree. Um, so the next question is, uh, can you walk my listeners and I through, I guess, your pregame process Ooh. and what you do behind the scenes? Wow. Um, it's uh, it, It's a little involved because it's two different things now, and it has been for eight years because obviously the game I'm doing on Saturday is a television game and the game I'm doing on Sunday is a radio game. The, the preparation process is uh, the easiest analogy I use for most is it's an open book test. So if you ever get to a point where you take open book tests, you're, you're going to have to you know, be prepared for the information. You'll have the resources there because you've been to class, you know, the book material, and then they ask you the questions and you kind of got to compartmentalize your answers, if you will. And that's kind of what a broadcast is in layman's terms. Uh, you have to be ready for everything and have working knowledge of everything. Um, for me, it really becomes on the television side, uh, a bigger team game because you're working with a producer, a director, an analyst, oftentimes a sideline reporter, uh, you're working with folks in graphics. You're working with folks, and uh, you know who are who are doing things from a um, a font perspective, and that's what they show on the screen. You know, like facts of the game, that kind of thing. Um, so you're building those things through the week for Saturdays. Uh, so college football on television is a process that typically starts on like a Monday with a small production meeting, gets a little more advanced Wednesday and Thursday with more meetings. Uh, typically, we'll have a call uh, with both teams, either Wednesday, Thursday, or Thursday, Friday. This week for me, it happens to be Thursday, Friday, because uh, we have Florida State's call on Thursday and NC State's call on uh, Friday for our game Saturday night. Um, and by the time we get off that last call on Friday, you know, you kind of pretty much ought to have everything close to put to bed, and then you put final notes down on your charts and cards and I have a chart with uh, basically the depth chart of both teams on it uh, that is kind of to the way I, I want to keep my information. Uh, I develop some other things to go along with it that make me more confident during the game, and then we go with it. The football process for the NFL, Abner, even though it's on radio, is very similar. I keep one other thing during an NFL game that I don't do on television for my college game. And then basketball is a lot faster process because, you know, you don't have as many players. Uh, yeah. The game the game is shorter from a broadcast standpoint. It's only about two hours and change usually. Um, so your run-up time is not a three-and-a-half-hour broadcast. You're doing something on a little, on a little lesser line. So uh, it's fun. It, it's one of my favorite parts is the preparation. Uh, I enjoy doing it. It's intriguing to me to find out different things about uh, different programs, schools, coaches, players, that type deal. Um, the familiarity and the relationships you build through that process are 
interesting. Like, you know, this is the second time we've had Florida State and the third time we've had NC State this year coming up this weekend. So I have a little bit more of a working knowledge with them than I do uh, maybe say Duke, who I haven't had this year, or North Carolina, who I haven't had this year. So, you know, that, that part's fun. Uh, every game is different. That's one of the reasons I like this business a lot. Uh, no two games are the same. And, uh, you know, you never quite know what's going to happen. And you kind of got to be prepared for, for the unknown. And that's really true. And uh, when, when you said that um, you, do a, you do television and then radio, uh, obviously when you're doing television, you, you get a little face-to-face time, I guess, with your viewers. But when you're, when you're doing your uh, radio talk show, how do you keep your I guess, how do you keep the audience engaged? Well, I think you've got to in my case doing games for the Falcons, you know, the my partner's Dave Archer and we've worked together for 17 years. So our chemistry on the air is is pretty well established and you know, I I tell people all the time we have a football broadcast but it's more of a a pretty broad conversation about the game. Um, you know, and you're describing the game but you're also trying to give information to the listener that they're not going to get from other folks. They're not going to get it by watching television. I mean, because it's the Atlanta Falcons radio network. I also understand that, you know, a a vast majority of our fans are going to be Falcon fans. Um, And, you know, even in Atlanta, it's such a big market. There'll be a percentage of folks who, you know, in the case of last week uh, might not necessarily be uh, Falcon fans, but they're listening because they're playing the Denver Broncos or whatever the case may be. And so you certainly want to be fair to them. Uh, and really your conversation is, is what takes place. I mean, the minute the ball goes in the air, it's us describing the game, but we're also having a conversation about what's gone right and what's gone wrong for both teams, individuals, coaching decisions. Uh, and at the same time, we're trying to keep you updated on where the game is, score, time, uh, description of the plays, personnel involved, that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the next question is, uh, when a team gets on a losing streak, like the Falcons started out the sure. year, how do you keep uh, your the, your audience, I guess, enthusiastic about the, the rest of the season and keep them engaged? Well, when a team doesn't play well, it's hard for everybody. I mean, that's number yeah. one. It's, it's not easy for coaches, players certainly, but it's also not easy for anybody – if you're a fan of the team, you, you know, you're like, oh, man, come on. What about, you know, can we get one type deal? Um, yeah. Same thing happens with us, too. I mean, you know, you always sound better when your team wins, okay? I mean, <laughs> I've, I've joked with folks in the past and, and young people like yourself, I've had some pretty good broadcasts and the team didn't win. Um, but nobody ever talks about the games where you lost, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Um but I think it's, it's incumbent upon you to always kind of present kind of the game. And if it doesn't go well, you need to kind of say it doesn't go well. Uh, you don't need to be, you know, over-the-top negative, but you need, to be, uh, you need to be informative about why your team won or lost. And so when it doesn't go well, you have to be honest. And, you know, I've been fortunate to work for a lot of schools and certainly this team in Atlanta that, that respects that. They understand, hey, look, when we don't win and we don't play well, it's okay if you say we didn't play well, you know. Uh, I know some guys in this industry that have been in this business who, you know, they say, hey, we didn't play very well, and somebody, you know, somebody's upset about it. Well, they said we played bad or whatever the case may be. And, you you know, you kind of got to get that working margin with your with your team that you represent. And representing your team is really important. I think that's always something that, 
you know, is in the forefront of my mind is they've entrusted us with an opportunity to brand their team in, in our case on radio. Um, and it's important we do a good job that way. And fortunately for us, Mr. Blank and, and Mr. McKay have always been, um, have been very, very supportive of the way we go about doing that. And, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, you, you have some pretty good, you have some pretty great owners. Too. Yeah. They're good people. And great people. Yeah. Very great. Um, so obviously you've been in the, I guess the football world slash realm for a long time. And over the years, do you think you've gotten good at predicting which college athletes will <laughs> go on to be great professional athletes and which ones will be draft busts? Uh, if anything, I've probably gotten worse. Um, <laughs> I used to think I had a handle on it, Abner, and I don't, I, I think that I see, uh, college basketball players who I think will be really good professional players. And some are, I mean, you know, it wasn't really difficult to do Zion Williamson's basketball games and say, hey, I think he might be a pretty good NBA player. I mean, it's you can't see that, you know. Um, but there are guys who you think will be and, – and I was fortunate I did Calvin Johnson's games at Georgia Tech. And I, you know, kind of said, oh, Calvin Johnson's going to be a pretty good NFL player. And he was. Um, yeah. For me, you know, I, I mean, somebody like Matt Ryan is – you know, he was the third pick in the draft, and people are thinking, well, you know, we think he might be pretty good, and he's turned out to be one of the best quarterbacks. Maybe he's the best quarterback in Falcons history and might very well end up being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, and, you know, Matt is a guy who just continually works at it, and I think his work ethic was something that a lot of people didn't realize was so uh, so intense, and it would be one of the reasons that he would be ultimately successful. So, you know – I thought Matt had a chance to be a really good player and he's turned out to be a good player. Um, you know, and, and with college basketball, I mean, there, there's some misses too. I mean, they're guys who I think have, you know, probably going to be really good pro players and it just hadn't happened. And, uh, you know, especially in the NBA, I, that part I haven't been able to sort out cause I see some college, ba- really good college basketball players in the ACC and, um, you know, others have gone on and been really good players and others that you thought might be good. Haven't, but, Again, I, I think it's uh, there. There are a lot of factors that that go into a final decision on that too. Yeah, and I mean, do you think possibly one of the reasons? I know this is a reason for me because I'm I'm not amazing at predicting these mm-hmm. either. Um, do you think one of the reasons is maybe we get like a little attached to these players and want them to succeed? Oh, I, th- I certainly think the the fan attachment is important. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that become fans of players when they're in college. And you think, well, golly, he's such a great player here. There's no way he won't be a great player at the next level. And there are a lot of things that go into that. I mean, look, uh, I mean, you've seen plenty of guys who start out one place at the professional level and it doesn't work well. Then they go to a new team and all of a sudden they're playing well, right? Well, there's all sorts of things that, you know, that go into something like that. Um, You know, when you – you know, maybe the organizational structure doesn't fit the player. Uh, oftentimes at the next level, the coach is not the one ultimately deciding on the player that gets drafted. That's done by the GM, um, you know, or the vice president of operations or whatever the case may be. And, and so, you know, there are a lot of different factions that go into it. Then the other thing, too, is you're not sure what that player's, you know, what's going to be his situation when all of a sudden it becomes a job, Right. Because that's the other thing, Abner, that that really does change. I mean, it becomes a job. And, you know, a lot of guys who who go pro don't anticipate just how 
encompassing it is when professional sports is a job. Um, they think of it as go to practice. The, the number one thing I've had guys tell me in the NFL is they didn't realize, you know, how much meeting time, how much off the field stuff would go on, how much off the field, you know, how to watch tape, that kind of thing. Most guys come into the NFL and don't really understand how to watch tape, watch film of, you know, their opponent or watch their own film and understand getting better from it and things like that. And, you know, that changes from team to team. There are a lot of different places that, uh, you know, don't have the culture of success that others do. And, and that makes a difference as well. I, I totally agree. And I mean, it, college doesn't always, I guess, college football or basketball doesn't always prep you for, I guess, the big leagues, but they do their best job. They do the best job that they can. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think that, you know, again, you have guys, you know, like uh, Obi Toppin is probably going to be a pretty high draft pick in the NBA out of Dayton, right? And Obi Toppin is a, is yes. a really incredible athlete who's a really talented basketball player. But as good a job as Anthony Grant does coaching Dayton, and I know a little bit about Anthony, and, it, you know, he does all the right things. But will Obi Toppin be ready when he gets to the next level? And I think that's one of the things that comes into play is how ready is Obi Toppin to be that guy at the next level. And I think, you know, sometimes you don't know until they get there. Um, you know, that's why in many ways you're kind of, you're kind of betting on the prospect, not betting on the reality. And sometimes that reality comes through quicker than, than others. And sometimes it's, it's a little longer in maturation. Yeah, I mean, that is the big question. And, I mean, we're, we're being faced, honestly, with something that I've been wondering for many years. My, my dad personally says that uh, the coach is more important than the player, and I've always <laughs> said that the player is more important than the coach. What, oh, what's wow. Your, what's okay, your so now you're going to put me in the middle of a family argument. Um, <laughs> I, you know, look, I, I think you have to – if coaches, it depends, right? I mean, I think you – Coaches have to be a lot of things. Um, they have to be, first of all, they have to be fully confident in the staff they have. Uh, and I think that's really, really important. In fact, you know, I, I was told a long time ago that the most successful teams oftentimes have the best coaching staffs. And I said, well, wait, you mean the best coach? No, the best coaching staffs. The best, you know, in the football case, coordinators, special teams, all sorts of things, right? Uh, you know, the best collaborative coaching staff typically can create the best team. Um, I think that's true in college. And I think when you get really good players and a really good coaching staff, you can have a lot of wins. Um, you know, see Alabama, see Clemson, you know, like in that, that particular area. I think that. But what about like Brady Belichick? Like, oh, I think they made that? a lot of players better. I think that the combination of the quarterback and the coach and the culture that New England established, Avner made a lot of guys who were just kind of guys with other teams much better players when they came to New England. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and I, I think that's why, you know, hypothetically, somebody like Danny Amendola or Julian Edelman or guys like that, they were better players when they were in New England than they are when they're not in New England. And that's okay. Um, and they also made guys like, you know, Malcolm Mitchell before he got hurt. And Malcolm Mitchell was a really good player at Georgia. He was a better player in New England because of being in that culture. And I think there are a lot of teams like that. And it's it's really kind of important to 
you know, embrace that concept. And I think culture does help you win a lot combined with coaching and, and things like that. The college level, it's a little trickier because you've got, you know, you got 85 scholarships. You're trying to create levels where, you know, you have the same number of every class. And so therefore at times it takes a while and then you have coaches that move on too. So it makes it a little tougher, but I, you know, on the whole, I would say, you know, coaching is coaching is pretty important, but building is far more important. And the building part takes the player. So here's the story. You tell your dad, you're both right. Because I, I think you can't do one without the other. Um, yeah, very rarely. That, now, in yeah. basketball, at the professional level, you can oversee, you can see players that come together that, you know, it doesn't matter if you and me are coaching them, they got a chance to win, okay? But in football, it's a bigger yeah. palette, and it requires a lot more ingredients to come into play, and I think that's where you, you know, you, you certainly can't forget that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, and I'll make sure <laughs> okay. to tell my dad. Um, so the next question is, do you ever have times when you're on live television and you can't think to, you can't think of what to say next? Um, let's see. I don't know that that's necessarily happened. There are times on live television where I don't want to say anything because we have talented <laughs> directors and we have talented, uh, photographers and videographers who are shooting the game. And in a normal year when we have packed stadiums and bands and everything else going on, Abner, sometimes you don't need to say anything. A guy goes into the end zone on a scoring play and you just let the director and the photographers and the videographers take over, to be honest with you, because they can capture the moment far better than I can by saying something. You know, I'm, uh, even in radio, um, when a guy scores sometimes and the crowd's roaring, it's just better to let the crowd roar. So to say I forget, I, I don't know what to say, um, yeah, there's probably been a time or two. Uh, but on the whole, now you want to be responsible and let kind of the emotion of the game carry it. And really, nobody needs to hear from me. They, they'd much rather, I think, be entertained or celebrate the moment with the momentum of the crowd. I think that's a great point. And, I mean, that I I – Personally, didn't expect you to say, but then <laughs> okay, right there. so I won you on that one. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Um, so if you had one piece of of advice to give to a kid mm -hmm. of my age um, that has a passion for sports, what would? Oh that wow. Be? Um, I don't know. I was, I mean, I was probably fourteen when I decided that I wanted to get into sports as a career. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be in sports. My dad was enjoying a very successful career in sports broadcasting, and I thought that would be fun. Um, I saw, you know, how much he loved what he did. So that certainly influenced me a lot. Um, and I got to go to games when I was a kid, and that, that intrigued me. Uh, I think that the most important thing is don't ever lose your passion for sports. And if you want to get into the sports media, understand there are a lot of different things now, especially in the 21st century that you can do. Broadcasting is just one, um, you know, uh, writing online, having podcasts like you're doing. I mean, there are a lot of different things that, that young people can do to get involved in it. Uh, and you can have a lot of different irons in the fire, so to speak. Uh, you know, the, the creative people who do stuff like College Game Day on ESPN or who do some of our shows on ACC Network. I mean, th 
those are incredibly talented people. Then you've got, you know, folks that I've worked with previously at Georgia Tech or with IMG College in Learfield who are great scoreboard hosts or, you know, great audio engineers who are in sports who understand how to capture the game from a, from a standpoint of production. I, I think there's so many different ways, but don't ever lose the passion for sports. That's the thing about it is, is that you love playing games when you're a kid. And a lot of us who are in the business, I'm in Abner, got in this business because we realized we weren't going to be good enough to play at a high level. Some of us did. I mean, you know, shoot, I do football games on ACC Network. Roddy Jones, who had a great career at Georgia Tech. I've, you know, worked with uh, E.J. Manuel, who played Eric Wood, Eric Wood, who played 10 years in the NFL. E.J. Manuel played nine years in the NFL. Uh, Got a chance to be around guys that have been on national championship teams and Super Bowl teams and things like that. But they all realized at the end they still wanted to stay connected, right, either to football or to sports or to something like that. So, and they're all passionate about it. I mean, Eric McClain played at Clemson, who works with us on ACC Network, and he knew his last college game when it happened. He had no desire to play in the NFL, but yet he wants to stay tied to college football because of the passion he has for it. I think that's really an important thing to remember, especially when you're young like yourself and other kids in high school and colleges. Don't ever lose the passion for sports. You want to work in sports, there are plenty of different ways. It's not necessarily broadcasting or media, but if you want to stay connected to it, you can. And it's it's a great business if you understand that it's different. It's not a nine to five. It's not um it's not a traditional job. And that's the thing that kind of keeps me energized, you know, when I've been fortunate to do it for a long time. I I mean that was beautiful. <laughs> well, I've I've had to say it a few times. So it, it's true, though. Um, you know, the one reason my dad stayed in as long as he did was he always enjoyed the challenge of getting ready and the energy involved in games. And I think that's true. I think it's true whatever branch of this you're in and whatever connection you have, whether you work on a campus for a school or, or something else happens, I think it's I think it's just one of those things. I agree. And, I mean, I, I'm not at the age yet, but – um, I, I play, um, sure. I play soccer, basketball, baseball, and this is just another one of the things I want to branch out and extend my That's great. Uh, passion for sports. So I, I definitely agree with you. I sure. have one last question. How would you announce if Matt Ryan threw <laughs> a game winning touchdown to Calvin Ridley? I've been I've done dying it a few to times. Um, I don't know. Your, your number one goal is to try and get it right. That's the, you know, of all the excitement and all the energy and everything else. So you want to make sure you get the, you know, the player who threw it and the player who caught it. You want to make sure you got your distance right. If there was a play for the ball in the end zone, you want to know who was defending it, right? Um, so there are some yeah. basics that you got to try and cover on every one. But in that particular deal, um, you know, that's that's one I've had the good opportunity to do several times. And I hope many more because – those are two really talented guys, and uh, like I told you earlier, Abner, they always remember the games you win. They don't remember the games you lost, but they also remember the big plays, and those guys have provided some big plays already. Very true. Well, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. It was truly an honor and a pleasure. That was me interviewing Mr. West Durham, the announcer for the Atlanta Falcons. Thank you.